have any of you ever been through a revival, either a local revival, a church revival, uh, a regional revival? Anybody? Okay. Pardon? Visit it? Okay. That counts. <clears throat> I was through the Jesus People revival. See if, you, if any of you have heard this. You have to be old enough to hear it. Little country church on the edge of town. Do 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 do. People coming traveling from miles around for for teaching and for Sunday school. And it's very plain to see it's not the way it used to be. Long hair, short hair, coats and ties. People come to praise the Lord. Looking past the hair into the eyes. People want to praise the Lord. And it's very plain to see. It's not the way it used to be. I lived in Costa Mesa, the town of a little country church pastored by Pastor Smith. Pastor Chuck Smith's wife, Kay, said, I think you should welcome the long-haired, pot-smoking hippies. Open your doors, Chuck. He did. They moved to Santa Ana on the edge of town. That little country church grew to 25,000. Powerful revival in the 70s. What did that grow out of? I'll tell you what it grew out of. The 60s were terrible years in America. Kennedy assassination in 62. You remember where you were, those of you who are alive. You remember where you were that day. I remember exactly where I was on the UCLA campus when I heard that. Vietnam took out 60,000 of our soldiers and hundreds of thousands of others. A war that we didn't know we wanted to be in and it lasted for over two decades. Dr. Timothy Leary, a Harvard professor, remember? Tune in, turn on, drop out and truckloads of young adults did, and were doing crazy stuff. It was a terrible decade, and families were losing their young adults, and parents were crying out to God to get their kids back. And God answered with a powerful revival. Primarily that one among young people. While that was happening back in the, in the Midwest East in Asbury, students were praying for revival for months and months and months, maybe years, I don't know how long. But on February 2nd, 1970, they were meeting, holding hands, 17 of them in the student center and praying for revival. And the leader, the student leader said, we can stop now. He is coming tomorrow. They went to bed. The next day, the dean got up 
because the president was gone in Canada. The dean spoke. He was going to give a teaching. He gave his testimony, and then he sat down. Kids started going to the mic. The philosophy professor came down to the dean and said, you could have an altar call because God is here, and they will come forward. He did. They came forward. He called the president at 7 a.m., didn't get the president, and said, urgent message. The president knew what had been happening on some of the campuses. If you were alive, you remember that there were lock-ins, lock-outs, crazy, crazy stuff happening at universities. And so the president's wondering, what's happening at Asbury? He answered back. He called back to the dean. The dean said, chapel is still going on. This is nighttime. It went on past 12 midnight. It went on for a week. They closed down classes for three weeks because God was moving on their campus. They had open mic. Kids were confessing their sins to one another before their congregation. They began to send out teams. I heard about it. I was down the street on Como Avenue at Luther. I heard about these teams going out. Where the teams went, revival broke out. I'll just give you one example. Three students went, I think it was in Texas, and they came to share their testimonies. The pastor was nervous. I understand that. Sometimes we get nervous of things that are kind of out of control. Revival can get out of control. And so he was nervous. And they could tell and said, we don't have to share anything. We did our part. We came. We don't have to share. And he said, well, you can share for, I think it was three minutes. So each of them shared for three minutes, sat down. The pastor went, Phew. glad that's over with. And uh, the team got up. There was a quartet, not, not students, but the quartet got up and sang. And before they started singing, the bass pointed at the girl who gave a testimony and said, I want what she's got. That's all it took. Revival hit in that church. When revival comes, it comes with power. It comes with force. And where there's an openness to receive it, it'll break through. Go back 20 years. Post-war, post-Second World War doldrums in west of Scotland at the Hebrides Islands, and two elderly women were praying, uh, Peggy and Christina. Peggy was blind, and Christina was crippled up. They couldn't go to church, so they stayed home, and they prayed. As they prayed, they'd been praying for months and months, maybe years, God told them revival was coming. So they prayed for revival. Then God said, it's, it's happening. It's soon. So they talked to the pastor, and they said, you need to call Duncan Campbell because revival is imminent. So the pastor agreed. He called Duncan. He came on a Saturday, spoke on Saturday night. He was to come for two weeks. He stayed for two years. Saturday night after the message, they told him they had an all-night prayer meeting planned, and he was tired. He didn't want to go. But he went. And this is what he said. He left there. At 2 o'clock, God came to the cabin. Now, we know God's present, but when God comes, you know what I'm talking about. You know that God is there. 
people knew it. He left and was coming back to where he was going to stay. This is what he said. Every light, no, the lights in every house were on at 2 a.m. in the morning. Why was that? People couldn't sleep because of conviction of sin. Every house was on. Next morning he preached, it was Sunday morning. He gave the benediction, nobody left. They just stayed there. People came, policemen came from the police department and said, Duncan needs to come. People are showing up at the police department, they don't know what to do. They were under conviction of sin. The power of God in a moment to change a whole island by bringing conviction in response to two women praying, Peggy and Christina. Heaven applauds their willingness to pray. So we're praying for revival. We're believing it's coming. We're believing it's imminent. God spoke to me in December 2014 when a Ugandan young man prayed for me, I could see that he had something I did not have, less than half my age. I knelt beside him. I said, please pray for me. He prayed, prayed a simple prayer. And the next morning when I woke up, something had changed. I had not experienced that before. I didn't believe in impartation, at least the way I had, ex I had seen it uh, observed. Nor did I pray for revival. I never prayed for revival. In fact, I discouraged people from praying for revival because the way I saw it uh, lived out, at least in my experience, as the students at CLBS prayed for revival, they had a stinking attitude, but they knew something was going to change when revival came. Things would be better in the, in the class. Things would be better on the campus. And so I said, here's an idea. How about instead of praying for revival, why don't you be a revival? Whatever you expect revival to be or to do, why don't you be that? Now, I needed an attitude change, and they did as well. My attitude changed, and I began to pray for revival. Nate called me, and he said, do you know anyone who's thinking about revival these days? I said, we've got to get together. So we got together and began to pray together, and then we realized we needed to call some others together. So we called some people in the Twin Cities, and we've been praying for revival, believing that it's imminent. So what do you do? If you agree with us and you say, yeah, I guess revival is coming, cool, bring it on. Is that what we do? Well, that's a good idea, but let me suggest two things that we do and one thing that God does. We talk to God about people and we talk to people about God. That's our job. First of all, we talk to God about people if we believe it's coming, uh, a pastor friend in Norway said, Paul, what good does it do to pray for it if you know it's coming? And I said, well, it's biblical, it's scriptural, and history proves it out. Charles Finney, you've heard the name. Have you heard the name Daniel Nash? Daniel Nash prayed. He was the prayer person who opened the way for Charles Finney. So much so that when Daniel Nash died, Charles Finney quit doing revival ministry. Three months later, he went into the congregation and started being a pastor. Can you imagine Charles Finney being a pastor? He was a pastor because he knew he couldn't do it without Daniel. 
because Daniel would come to a place two weeks ahead of time, begin to travail in prayer and pray and plead with God for breakthrough. Listen, we can't do it without God and God doesn't do it without us. So he asks us to cooperate with him in what we believe him to do. So what do we do? One thing is we pray and we proclaim. We pray and we talk to people about Jesus. So how do we pray? Well, there are scriptures that we can pray in Psalm, Psalm 80. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. That verse is three times in that passage. Psalm 85, you showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. This is what he did in the past. Restore us again, O God, our Savior. Put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? I like to pray that. God, revive us again. Do it again. You've done it in America. You did it in the late 18th century. You did it in the middle of the 19th century. You did it in 1905 powerfully. Touched, touched the world through the Azusa Street Revival. You did it in 1970. How about in 2017? And so we work with God. God's desiring to do it. Judgment is not the first thing that comes to his mind when he thinks of San Francisco or New York or Moscow. He says, I get no pleasure in the death of the wicked, that they may, but they, they may turn from their wicked ways and live. So we say, God, do it again. Do it here. Do it in the Twin Cities. Do it in Minnesota. There's scriptures, not scriptures, but there's prophecies that Minnesota is going to lead the charge in America when it comes to revival. When uh, Cindy Jacobs came, she said, you're the revival state. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows. Prophets know it, that there's something special about Minnesota. I feel we're going to lead the charge. We have a responsibility. And so we're praying and believing. One other scripture from Habakkuk. When was the last time we read Habakkuk? Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 3.2. I love that scripture. So I am praying. Nate and I are praying. Our team is praying. Lydia House is praying and believing for God to bring powerful revival and we're not just delegating it to God and saying we're not going to do anything as God gives us opportunity we're sharing the message how will they hear without a preacher God is not a preacher God does not preach we preach we proclaim you're all you're all called to proclaim but some have special function like Peggy and Christina they didn't do a lot of proclaiming they did a lot of praying what did God hear their prayers so maybe you feel a special call to one or the other. I don't think Jonah did much praying. He hated those people. He hated them. But this shows us what God does. He got a preacher. The preacher preached judgment. 
and God brought mercy. And God brought mercy to such an extent that there is incredible revelation that was given to pagans. When you think about Assyria and Nineveh, think ISIS. They were brutal. They were butchers. They did unspeakable atrocities to their victims. And so if you're a prophet, you hate them. I understand why he would hate them. I understand why he wouldn't want to go. Not only because it would be a risk of his life, but he may have seen them from high above the valley of Megiddo. He may have seen them carving up his relatives. And so do you want God to show mercy? He knew God would show mercy. So he didn't want to go. So he ran. God got him back because God needs a preacher. God's not going to do it. Now, in exceptional times, he will. Praise the Lord. He'll give visions to Muslims. Where's the preacher? Well, that comes later. So there are exceptions, but the normal way to do it is through people like you and me at work, on the job. Casually, we introduce the name and we begin to talk about Jesus. So what happened with this king? Jonah risked his life, walked through, declaring them in 40 years they're going to be dust. They don't butcher him. What do they do? They repent. Listen to this. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Let them not eat or drink. He was serious, wasn't he? Let them covered, be covered with ashes. Let everyone call urgently on God. Somehow this pagan knew that there was someone who could hear him. That's revelation. He knew that there was an accountability to God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Do you think ISIS know that they're violent and they're evil? I don't know if they do. He did. He called it evil and violent, what they were doing. How did he know that? The Holy Spirit convicted him. I used to, pray, uh, to preach as a young pastor, hoping I would convict people. You ever do that? <laughs> it's a stupid thing. I don't have to. I just had to preach the good news. And the Holy Spirit knows how to convict pagans, to change them in a moment so that they're concerned and they're wondering if they're going to perish. Let them give up their evil ways. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger and we not perish. He knew a lot. He knew that they were going to perish. How did he know that? The Holy Spirit convicted him. How did he know God might change his ways and have compassion? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave him everything that he needed to do to change his ways and change the ways of his city. Did they change? We will see them in heaven. Matthew 12, 41 says, The men of Nineveh will stand at the judgment 
and condemn you because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and someone greater than Jonah is here. In fact, he was speaking. Jesus was speaking. And they were not repenting with Jesus. And the men of Nineveh, Nineveh repented with Jonah. They're converted. They're in heaven. And we get to meet them. What a powerful revival. That gives me courage to pray for Moscow, to pray for Tokyo, to pray for Sao Paulo, Mexico City. The last phrase, I think Jonah wrote the book of Jonah, and to his credit, he gives the last word to God, where God says, should I not be concerned about that great city? And so I say, God, should you not be concerned about the Twin Cities? Should you not be concerned about San Francisco? Should you not bring revival to New York City? We have the word behind us to do our jobs. I'm asking you in these days, join us. Let's be praying together, believing for revival. As God gives us opportunity, reach out, proclaiming, knowing that God can do that kind of stuff. That gives me strong confidence to pray for revival. That, that is wonderful. That's the way Daniel and Nehemiah prayed. We, we have sinned. So that's wonderful to pray identification. Uh, we identify with the, with the sinners rather than the righteous and say, save them. Wonderful. Thank you. Any other, any other sharing here? Do you believe... And I would understand if you don't, because I've talked to some of my friends who say, Paul, we're not going to pray for revival because we we're not sure it's going to happen. I was, I was like that for years because I'd heard, heard every year somebody was saying, it's this year, it's going to happen this year. And I became a skeptic. I'm not a skeptic now because I believe God's spoken to me. And so I'm going to hold, uh, hold strongly to it. I picked up a little thing at, at Goodwill and I didn't even look at the back of it, it was, and I was going to take it off when I uh, got it home. I didn't look at the, the script, what it was, and uh, when I got it home, I, I was going to take it off and put a picture, family picture, on it. And it was from Isaiah 26, 8, where it says, I will take my stand on the watchtower, and I will pray. And so God was saying to me in that simple way, when I bought something for two bucks, I, I got a message about prayer. So I want to have, have us pray together now. And uh, if, if there's a prayer in your heart for revival, you pray it with me. And then we'll close here and then do a little small group and then break for a time of fellowship.